Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Live from Trackside, this is IMSA Radio. Hello everybody and welcome along to IMSA Radio. We're live from what the locals here like to call America's National Park of Speed. It's Road America near Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin and bad news is it's raining. But to get a green and verdant canopy as we have around this beautiful circuit I suppose you've got to have a little bit of wet now and again. Sadly it's coming exactly the wrong time. Because coming up next, it should be Continental Tyre Sports Car Challenge qualifying. And it's live here on IMSA Radio. The Continental Sports Car Challenge on IMSA Radio. Yeah, I'm afraid the weather's not playing ball this afternoon with us here at... Uh, Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin, Road America. Uh, since uh, 1955, this circuit has played host to uh, some of the world's greatest manufacturers, drivers, and it's always been a challenge around the just over four mile circuit. The challenge today made somewhat more difficult, uh, if not impossible, by uh, what has been a constant rain shower, he says, uh, that has been dropping for, what, a couple of hours or so now. Greg Kramer is uh, in the booth uh, alongside me. I'm not even sure we're going to send Jeremy back out in this. I think it's just completely unfair to send anyone out uh, in this at the moment. Uh, we're hearing from Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge and from IMSA that this session will not go ahead, at least not as a qualifying session. That is exactly right. They have converted it. it. It's in the rule book, and that is something that they're looking at changing in the future, but it's in the rule book. If it is a, you know, where you would consider it a wet session, in the Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge rule book, it says that then qualifying will be abandoned, and they have elected to convert the entire window. Now, it's two 15-minute sessions usually, 15-minute yeah. for ST, then a 15-minute break, then 15 minutes for the GS cars. What they have done is converted this 45-minute window now into one 45-minute open practice, and literally today, anybody in the pool uh, that wants to go out, the question will be, how many takers will we have, considering that this would, you know, the grid will now be set on points, and the race is supposed to unfold tomorrow afternoon where it's scheduled to be beautiful. So we'll see what happens. The, The thinking behind that is that there hasn't been any significant running in the damp conditions that we've got, the wet conditions we've got, damp doesn't even uh, bring it on. There will be people, and you know, the three of us sometimes are among that, that might raise an eyebrow and say, hang on a second, if we could go out and ask the guys to go out and practice, why can't we ask them to go out and, and qualify? The simple matter is that there is effectively no 
uh, no wet qualifying in Conte. It's got if it's a wet session, if it's declared a wet session, then it's going to be an issue. Now the teams, as, as Greg's alluded to, along with IMSA, are already uh, looking at that uh, as a potential change in the regulations for next year. But for now, it is what it is. The issue is going to be what happens now, and will anyone actually go out the the original focus I was looking at for the start of the week, Greg, was that uh, whilst we might get a splash today, this evening, in fact, not this early through today, the rest of the weekend should be pretty good. But one or two teams, again, casting scorn on that as well and saying there might be a splash of rain tomorrow. So if you think there's going to be a splash of rain tomorrow, surely you go out and give a set of continental wet tyres a spin with at least one, possibly both of your drivers. I think it would be smart to do that uh, just in general. You're absolutely right. Uh, The forecast that I've been hearing is that tomorrow's supposed to be nice. That rain might be back on Sunday. Oh, really? But it depends on when this front which apparently, according to all the weather maps, has just stalled. It's just parked right here, <laughs> and how long that lasts. So I think that's right now uh, of concern. But in terms of the outright for uh, a forecast for the rest of the weekend, I'm actually going to... You're going to have a quick look. I'm going to have a quick look, So because okay. I think that might play a huge role as to what happens whether we get cars out or not. Yes. That's uh, what the forecast is for tomorrow afternoon. We... Not quite at the time where the cars uh, should be out on the circuit. Our intrepid officials and marshals are already at their posts, of course, because we're only just over three minutes away from this 45-minute third and additional practice session for the Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge. We're live on IMSA Radio from Road America at Elkhart Lake, Wisconsin. Good to have your company I realise that uh, back in the uh, UK, it's just after 9 o'clock in the evening, 10 o'clock in Europe. I see cars out on the circuit. They are the fast lap cars from the Bondurant Racing School, and they are heading out. And Bob Barfield has just wandered in. He's... What, have we got better pictures than you in race control? Is that what it is? Or is it just the coffee's better down here? (laughs) It's not nice out there. Bo's a racer himself, and I'm not sure, as much as we all like to go racing, I'm not sure, Bo, you would even like to have been out there behind the wheel of a a racing car Uh, in this weather. I said it earlier, I think that's now officially out there, isn't it? (laughs) I'd go for sure. Gosh, it looks great out there. Yeah, yeah. If you're driving someone else's car. I remember doing car. some laps with you at Road Atlanta. We were doing a good bit of drifting, and you noticed. You had to come see who was in the car because I was sliding the thing. You so did? sideways yeah. out of turn, so, yeah, yeah, turn seven. Yeah, it's very good. Fun times. Fun times. not so much. It's pretty ugly. The uh, the situation, and we should mention all of our course workers and, and volunteers who, like the uh, spectators here, are enduring the, uh, the conditions at the moment. These are the times when... Uh, being in, in race control, this is a fairly easy decision to make. The, the qualification can't go ahead uh, with the, the situation as it is at the moment, Paul. Yeah, interestingly enough, I mean, I'm all about whatever, uh, you know, not risking safety or pushing the envelope, but certainly all about qualifying in the wet. And I know that uh, different series that I've been a part of in the past, you sort of take a hit when you make these decisions. But it's actually still a clear rule in the Continental uh, rule book about uh, abandoning qualifying and just inserting a practice session in place of it under these conditions. So it really was a no-brainer. 
The uh, coming here to Road America, though, this is something that everybody gets excited about, and no different uh, to you and the team in race control. You guys are all racers and enthusiasts at heart. Always good to come back to these types of circuits. Oh, this place is beautiful, and I haven't been here in a while, and I've certainly missed it. Uh, absolutely, yeah, it's just fantastic, and not just the racetrack, but the the town nearby, and just the you know the nonstop the party, the vibe, the whole thing. Mm. It's just the way it should be, all the way you know back in the day. Yeah, we were talking earlier on about the 1950s and amazing to think that they were racing around the roads here in the 1950s in cars that were effectively you know, C-types and things like that that were effectively Le Mans cars uh, of their days. Uh, the the season so far, we're well over half distance. It's this uh, very packed run into the end of the season. Championships are, uh, are beginning to be thought about now by people up and down the pit lane. Have you enjoyed your first season back with us here and, and how do you think it's gone? I have definitely enjoyed it. It's been great. It's good to work for a group of guys that uh, empower you to do your job, support you when you have difficult calls to make. Um, The management structure here is great and supportive and professional, so I greatly appreciate that. The paddock is just great to work with. Um, It's easy to say a few things and for them to just get where you're coming from enough that Mm. when they're on the right or wrong side of a call, it's not a long, drawn-out, difficult discussion. So it's just a a great overall vibe here from the competitor side to the management side to my awesome team and race control side. Just behind us, yeah. Yeah, So uh, it's it's all good. The uh, one of the overriding things that I've enjoyed about working with IMSA in its various forms in the last 16 or so years, could heaven say that fast and it won't seem so long, uh, is the the way that at, at pretty much every level the stakeholders, whichever those stakeholders happen to be for a particular discussion point are involved. Does that happen with you as well in terms of you, your race control guys, your sporting regulation guys as you move forward and starting to look towards 2016 now, already beginning conversations with up and down the pit lane with people about how things happen or is that just generally speaking an ongoing thing that happens all the time it really it happens all the time it, my my first exposure to anything officiating on the side of officiating was that Chris Neifel invited me to a race, and I remember, I'll never forget it, it was 2001 Mid-Ohio uh, Champ Car Race back in the day. And he walked around the paddock just introducing me to people because he foresaw the day, I think, that uh, I would possibly work with him, which mm-hmm. ultimately I did two years later. But in what just seemed like a casual walk after hours with people near their motor coaches or cooking out or still in the paddock or whatever the case might have been, from Barry Green to Paul Tracy and everyone in between, there was just something that needed to be said and needed to be done. And it still felt, it didn't feel like business because it was casual and laid back, but there was a lot of business to be done. And I took a lot from that very first day to understand the importance of being available and open in the paddock. Because you never know when you might just walk by somebody's somebody's paddock space and they've got something they really need to get off their chest. And when you were available to do that, the wildfire kept from spreading. Mm. And you want everybody, I presume, to feel comfortable enough to be able, if you're walking by, whether you're on your way to Marion's for something to eat or you've got a cup of coffee in your hand, to go, hey, by the way, Bo, I just need to ask you about something or I'm not happy about something or... 
can I have a chat with you about this, that, and the other? You you want to be that kind of person that people can approach. Absolutely, because like I said, you know, these little situations that you might not necessarily have been aware of, maybe we didn't see it on TV during a practice session that somebody put somebody off the track, and that person might come back into the paddock upset and have some expectation that we saw it and we're at least going to have a conversation about it. And if we didn't see it, we don't know it happened, then it's stewing with that person, and it's yeah, only yeah, getting yeah. worse. So if we happen to walk by at the right moment that they can say, hey, you need to go talk to driver of car whatever, mm-hmm. and we're open and available to be responsive and do that, it makes a huge difference. You- we, we've actually kind of coined the phrase internally where we talk about management by roaming, where, <laughs> where there is this active effort to be around and be available, whether that's Scott Atherton or Simon Hodgson or Jeff Carter or myself or Paul Walter or anyone yeah. in the staff that can be available and answer questions and make a difference. You still doing any racing? No, not at all. It's it, it's a passion of mine. I've loved it. I grew up doing it. I had fun racing when I was younger. And I always knew from the time I was a little kid that this is all I wanted to do. And it's all I've ever done. And I always knew that there was a place for me, and if I worked hard enough, I could do Good for you. different things. And this has just become my thing, and it gives me the satisfaction. And I, I, the satisfaction of being around racing, I make my living around racing, I can't complain one bit. Do you think that you – well, it's, it's impo- this is a question that's impossible for you to answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway with Bo Barfield, by the way, uh, whilst we're waiting for cars to go out. It's the Continental Tyres uh, practice session converted from qualifying because of the wet weather at the moment. Having been a racer, does that give you a different perspective perhaps on what's going on on the track and perhaps give you a, a different way of officiating, having been in some of the situations yourself that these guys maybe not at exactly the same level but at least having been out there and knowing what the heat of competition's like oh yeah without a doubt and and beyond the beyond the driving that i did which i think gives me um a better sense of how things should be officiating from the pure competition side of things is that i spent a lot of time teaching and coaching and so that dealing with drivers and trying to get either the killer instinct out of them or the (laughs) ultimate lap or, hey, Mm -hmm. these are the rules and Mm -hmm. you want to be on this side of it. Um, it, All of my experience from driving to working on my dad's cars when I was a little kid to teaching and coaching, all of that has served me so well in what I do now. Uh, And you still pick up a spanner now and then, although not necessarily for four wheels. You're a big fan of building some motorbikes absolutely yeah it's just kind of a thing that i picked up and funny enough as much as i did work on my dad's stuff and then when i started driving i thought you know you kind of get to i can say it because i was a driver kind of that pre-madonna stage and you say i don't want to get my hands dirty somebody else got to work on my race car i missed some golden years opportunities of working on some of my old my own stuff i i didn't like it i wasn't interested all i wanted to do was drive but as i've gotten older and gotten interested in motorcycles and older cars or what have you getting your hands dirty and tinkering and messing with it and making it better and making it your own is just one of the greatest passions I have in my spare time. What what's your best? What was your best memory of, of race driving? Not necessarily a, a victory or anything like that. What was your best memory of race driving? 
One thing that stands out, especially in these conditions, is that when I was still SCCA club racing, I was the 18-year-old, and I was racing in a class against a bunch of 40-year-olds. And yep. so I was kind of the young punk, and everybody would give <laughs> me a hard time. That from you. But they, they all supported me. I mean, it was mm. guys that contributed financially to me to do things mm-hmm. in later years. They really were on my side as much as they were fierce competitors. And there was one day we raced. It became a fairly well-known place because all of the IndyCar teams happened to test at this place back in the day. It's called Big Spring, Texas, mm-hmm. out in the middle of nowhere, West Texas desert. You go off, you're probably going to get bitten by a rattlesnake. But anyways, there was a weekend that we were racing there, and I struggled my first year. I was, you know, I drove the heck out of it, but I didn't have any tech sense, so I didn't know how to make the car better. And so all these guys with experience that had their cars highly dialed in, I was, you know, I could win some races, but I was fourth, fifth, sixth. We qualified in the dry, and I qualified 10th. And race day morning, pouring down just like this. And one of my biggest competitors who was on pole in the dry, a good friend to this day, I walk up and down the grid, and I'm kind of shaking everybody's hand, good luck for the race. Mm -hmm. And he says, where are you qualified with his hand over his Mm. forehead, looking all the way back to me in 10th place? (laughs) I said, 10th. He's like, well, have a good race there, young man. And uh, I was leading the race by lap three and lapped the field. Nice. Super wet conditions. So that was just one of those. What were you driving? It was uh, Spec Racer back in the day. Just, yeah, just, you know, go at it, bash into each other, driving hard. Uh, Good stuff. Great to have you here. Uh, will you pass on all of our best on behalf of not only everybody here, but everybody in the, the, the RSL network to everybody who I know you say it's a, it's a team effort, much as it is actually, here. Actually, it's always a pleasure to be here. And looking out to the pit lane, knowing that we've actually abandoned qualifying to go, uh, to go practice, and there's not one car, unfortunately, <laughs> in the pit lane, I think that at least um, supports that we've made the right decision. Yeah. Greg, a word for... Yeah, uh, well, you know, we Paul? were talking about all the experiences Bo has that are, are working toward your success in this role, and I think part of it is, and you talked about you know, getting to that stage where you maybe thought you were a little bit of a prima donna and the like, but uh, we got to be pretty good friends right off the go. I got introduced to him eons ago when he was uh, his first appearance at the runoffs at Mid Ohio in his Spec Racer Ford. But a few years later, when he Actually, made the probably step would have been into Road the, Atlanta, I mean, that's yeah, what I mean. Yeah yeah, 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 Road Atlanta, exactly. When you made the step up and you were running the American Continental Championship and you were doing it on a uh, the proverbial shoestring, shoe-string budget, and we yeah. talk about commitment and the drivers that will do whatever they have to do at Des Moines. One year, Bo had, uh, I, I was talking to him before the event, and he said, he said I don't know that I'm going to be able to afford to get there. He said, I can maybe get there, but I don't, have, I don't know where I'll stay and all that. He ended up camping on the floor in the hotel room that I was sharing with one of the guys I was working with, <laughs> and that was the difference that got him onto the grid in that race. And he said, I'll put up with you two schmucks and uh, crash on the floor there so I can get out and run. And so I think you that's know, commitment, you, you've man. Seen it was, it. That's commitment. Yeah. I tell you, and you that, understand it. You that, understand just how much this means to these people. And that was, and, and, there's, and there's good guys like you around that uh, would let me camp out because you see somebody that you think might uh, make something of themselves, and it's like uh, you either got uh, you either see down the road that uh, they might end up somewhere, or enough sympathy to say, oh, "Let this sorry guy sleep on the floor." 
But that was that was that was pretty memorable too because I actually ended up uh, just out of nowhere on the podium that weekend, which is pretty funny. And then similarly, I basically decided to take that interview my roommate. Decided to take that prize money and go to and go to Mosport and some and you know my my pitiful soul in the paddock there with my open trailer, working on my own race car and probably drinking some beer at the time, all the good stuff. A Canadian came up and said, "This whole thing gives me a flashback to Gilles Villeneuve." And at the time, yeah. it was completely meaningless to me. I didn't know. And then I thought about that comment years later. I was like, "Wow, that was about the highest praise I think anybody could have ever given me yeah, cool. in, your, in my efforts racing." Absolutely. Yeah. Who were your contemporaries then in Indy Lights? Who were you racing against in Indy Lights, Paul? Greg Moore. Oh, so, 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 as yeah. I put it, uh, 1995 when I was in uh, Indy Lights. Um, I didn't really race Indy Lights. I drove around at the same time that Greg Moore won all the races. <laughs> um, there were a couple of guys. There were a couple of Geofonies, mm-hmm. and there were the, a couple of the Geofonies that were cousins went on to do really well in IndyCar, but the one that I think was the best was Alfonso that I raced against that year, and he was absolutely stellar. And he kind of disappeared while I think Zeca and I can't remember the other one. Alfonso, Felipe. There was a Felipe, a Zeca, and an Alfonso. I raced against Alfonso, and he was unbelievable. Um, He actually legitimately, in my mind, here I go questioning some officiating, Mm -hmm. in my mind beat uh, Greg Moore legitimately again at at Phoenix, but was stripped of the victory for a jumped restart from the lead. And uh, it was taken away, and Greg was second, so he was awarded that win. So that would be an asterisk, I would say, with all due respect to the late Greg Moore, that year where he won 10 of the 12 races. But uh, interestingly enough, the exact same thing happened to Scott Goodyear about one month later at the Indianapolis Mm -hmm. Motor Speedway. Uh, Still nothing out on track. We've got one very brave uh, Porsche Cayman that is going to do an out and an in-lap, and... uh, not uh, staying out there uh, too long. Just before I let you go, Bo, um, we have we get used now to, in motor racing to so much technology, and you know even us just with cameras and the feeds that we get from the cars, the social media that we get from the teams is a huge amount of information from our side side of things. But in race control, you still have to make the call. There's no amount of technology that can say yes or no about a call, or is there? Is there going to be a time when it will be made less of a judgment call? Because ultimately someone's got to have a judgment about an incident. I think as much as we might all be able to look at, uh, you know, using technology to help us and help us be more consistent and help us make better calls, um, I think that if you looked at unintended consequences of that, it might lead you down a pretty nasty path. Great. Just thinking about it. Um, I, I, uh, I just talked to both sets of team managers for Continental and Tudor this weekend to say, look, for the calls that we make, we have to rely on the resources that we have. And mm-hmm. if they seem limiting at times, that's what we have available to make a call real time. If you have an in-car video of a situation – my officiating style, I always want to look at it, and I'll always give you my opinion, even if we weren't able to make a call at the time on that video. But does that mean that we're going to go back and retroactively apply some kind of action based on that additional information afterwards? Where do you draw the line? What if fans are coming out of the stands and say, hey, we have video of this, and we yeah. want to get a look at it? It's just not appropriate in my mind because once the checkered flag waves and we walk out of race control, the race has to be over. 
Mm, I agree. I ha- actually agree. Let's let's get uh, bo- let back to work. <laughs> such a, such as it is, of course. Now you've got such a great team. Yeah, it's good hanging out. Around. I just came down to say hi. You've got better pictures than we do, but uh, I'll get back to work, and uh, it's good catching up with you guys. Thanks. You too, Bob. Bob Barfield, uh, once again, proving as if we knew. He's been a, a guest on Midweek Motorsport several times where we've run him, rung him up, not exactly out of the blue, but uh, certainly at short notice to talk about uh, decision-making and great to have uh, our race director, Bob Barfield uh, down with us here uh, in the booth and he's talking to us because there's nothing on the circuit although the good news is the rain has abated Dennis Paul has got the hood off that's the official that's like the old purple light at Le Mans for darkness uh, it's officially now not raining because the hood's come off on the starter stand. Uh, and it's a bit brighter, and the cloud is beginning to break up. The wind is picking up a little bit as well, which I think is helping uh, all this. By the way, for those of you listening on uh, uh, IMSA Radio around the world, uh, thank you for the tweets, Bo. I tried to get as many in as I could at IMSA Radio, uh, for those of you further on. Uh, <laughs> check it flag is out for... The first part of the session for yep. all of the sessions. No, nope, for just the ST, they've they're, they're keeping they're it on that it. on that that time Got split. Got you. So how cool is it, by the way, gentlemen? Jeremy Shaw back with us now. That you know the man at the very sharp end of decision making as far as what goes out on the track wanders down just to say hello, and then we end up having a twenty minute chat about him. I mean that's yeah. accessibility, Jeremy. How many other series have you and I worked on, and Greg, where that just would not happen? And he's confident enough to put a headset on and talk to us without having to clear it with anybody first. <laughs> That's a serious yeah, point, though, isn't it? It is. It is. Absolutely it is. it is. It is. It's good. Yeah, we can get uh, get the information directly from uh, from the horse himself. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and now that he's gone out and see it, I do think it makes a difference that it's a, a, a racer and somebody who's raced at a decent level that, that has to make some of those judgment calls and, and work with the information. And yeah, I think it also it, says a tremendous amount that, as you said, without having to clear it with anybody, hmm. that the way IMSA's management structure operates, race control is autonomous on a race weekend. Yep. It's their call, so talk to them. And I think that is absolutely huge in terms of running effectively. Management by roaming. Was yeah, the, was isn't that a great management line? by roaming, which I thought was really good. Make yourself, put yourself out there and say to people, here I am. Come and talk to me. I'm gonna. That's going to be stolen, stolen away. Well, and I and I think what it comes down to is, for a race director, for a chief steward, whatever the title is, the success comes not in if everybody in that paddock wants to be your best buddy and go out for dinner with you, but if they believe beyond doubt that if they have a concern, you will listen, and that they also believe beyond doubt that if you're penalizing them for an infraction, they believe while they might be upset about it at the moment that mm-hmm. if that competitor makes that exact same infraction, he will get that exact same penalty. Yep. And that things are applied consistently and fairly. I and think consistency the exactly. is the biggest thing that people ask for, that if, you know, if you're going to do it that way, it's got to be done that way consistently. Now, if down the line you look at it and think, we've made a mistake, then you've got to be big enough as well to put your hands up and, make, and say we've made a mistake and we're going to change it in the future and this is how we'll handle it. And, you know, and again, that's something that's that's come out of chats that I know have happened uh, up and down the paddock. Uh, no qualifying here. It should be Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge qualifying. No qualifying. It's been turned into a practice session, which the teams, certainly in the ST categories, have eschewed. So that means we have... 
the C.J. Wilson Racing Number no. Five and Freedom Autosport Number no. Twenty Six Mazda Miatas on pole position for the ST category because that's the points situation. Jeremy, have you got the rest of the points there? Yes. You, uh, you normally uh, can get those to hand. I think it's worthwhile just reminding people who are tuning in, expecting us to be talking about a grid here, to give them an idea of what would uh, what's happened in the certainly at least in the ST category, and uh, we'll talk about the GS in a moment. Yes, yeah, so we're going on cha- on championship positions, not uh, not practice times from correct anyway, right? yeah, championship correct. positions. Yeah, so uh, uh, it it'll be car points then, won't it? It'll be the uh the car points rather than the driver points. I believe so. And in uh, the ST category, it will be, uh, as you say, CJ Wilson racing on the front row. Car number five, number 26, Freedom Autosport car uh, on the outside of the front row. So that's Liam Dwyer and Andrew Carbonell. So certainly a big boon for them. Uh, second row of the grid on the inside will be number 44, Sarah Catania and Owen Trinkler. They've been qualifying well and running well uh, the last four races. The last four races have been in the top seven, three times in the top five. Uh, on the outside of the second row, number 56, that's Eric Foss uh, in the... Actually, no, it'll be the number 83 car because... Uh, the number 83 and number 56, the next level European Porsche Cayman, car number 83, that's Greg Leerfuger and Eric Zimmerman. They're tied on points with Marilla Racing's car number 56, that's Eric Foss and Jeff Mosing, who we just saw out in the Porsche uh, GT3 Cup race a few moments ago. That will start uh, uh, behind the number 83 car because the number 83 car has one win on the season. Um, and the number 56 Porsche Cayman has a couple of seconds as its best results. We've just got uh, Bo Barfield to drive at the end of the season. George Arnail has tweeted at IMSA Radio, uh, and there's a very nice Falcon Tires coloured 914 Porsche um, that he's been offered. Uh, and I've just sent back to George, can, can I go drive, please, please? <laughs> <laughs> back in the car <laughs> exactly <laughs> um, GS is coming up for their practice session I've got to say it's now looking a little fairer I, again the issue here is what are you going to get out of this session uh, Jeremy what's the situation with the, the GS then how will they uh, line up for the next round of the championship here of the Continental Tyres I believe we'll have the Chevrolet Camaro kind of a six on the pole position that will be uh, Andrew Davis and Robin Liddell, championship leaders. Uh, got a pretty handy margin coming into this round. Second on the grid will be the Rumbum Racing Porsche, Matt Plum and Hugh Plum. Uh, then it will be Austin Sindrick and Jay Buford Ooh. in the kind of 158 Multimatic Motorsports uh, Shelby GT350 RC. Alongside them will be the second of the Stevenson Camaros, kind of a nine, shared by Lawson Aschenbach and Matt Bell. And next on the grid, on the third row of the grid, on the inside, will be kind of 15, the second of the multi-mount motorsports, Shelby uh, GT350RC. That will be Scott Maxwell and Billy Johnson on the outside of that row. BJ Zacharias and Brad Jager, who have uh, uh, already this season three second, three third place finishes uh, and are currently lying sixth in the points table. You know, the unfortunate thing, too, and obviously it wouldn't have happened in a wet qualifying, so this is not any statement on whether we should have qualified in these conditions or not. But I don't think there's any question, had it been dry, we would have seen two new track records set. 
mm. in this qualifying session, and it's unfortunate we'll be missing out on that. So the records from 2013 and 2012, respectively, for ground sport and ST will hold. Yeah, I'm surprised there aren't, is, uh, there aren't any takers, I don't think, are there on the uh, on the pit lane over there for nope. the... Well, and I think the reason is, guys, there's no morning warm-up when there might be some leftover rain. Looking at the the weather that I was just looking at, when this race unfolds in the middle of the afternoon, it's supposed to be just sunny. Yeah. So I, I just kind of think that everybody's looking at it going, well, if it's not a qualifying where we pretty much have to be out, there's really no point in going out. Period. So, yeah. if they're that co- as confident, that confident in the uh, in these conditions, then fair enough. Yeah, exactly. And uh, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I, I just think it's uh, I, I, it, as Bo said. It kind of indicates the decision, doesn't it? If nobody wants to go out, there's a different imperative, of course, when it's a practice session rather than a qualifying session. And whilst I have in the past always said, well, it's up to you. You don't have to go out if you don't want to. But if it's a qualifying session, you're kind of forced to go out, whether you feel comfortable doing it or not. And it's that times when people feel backed into a a corner that perhaps they they shouldn't be. Um, You know what else, by the way, just to mention to the folks here, is the wind has picked up considerably in the direction the wind is coming from. We are seeing darker, lower clouds blowing right back into this area here. So we had this moment, but I fear it may have have passed at this point. Well, I've just been handed uh, an unofficial grid, which will, as Jeremy mentioned, have the car number six, Stevenson Motorsport Machine on pole position alongside them and no love lost between the uh, 13 uh, and the Stevenson cars that's the Rumbum Racing Porsche then the 158 of Buford and Sindrick then the 9 of Aschenbach and Bell the uh, the second of the Chevy Camaros from Stevenson then the second of the Camaros in 5th position the 15 on the inside of row 3 that's the Maxwell and Johnson car P.J. Zacharias and Brad Yeager is the first of the Nissan 370ZZs that uh, will line up on position 6. Uh, it's the 80 uh, Camaro in 7th place. And the top 10 in GS rounded up by the 78 Ford Mustang 302R, the BMW M3, the 46 car, that's Trent Hindman and Ashley Freiborg. The... Second of the Boss 302Rs is in 10th position. Let me just quickly go through the STs. The two Mazdas we've told you about, 5 and 26. Honda Civic SI, the Catania Trinkler car, the 44 car. That could be interesting, although it's not going to be wet, is it? Uh, then the Porsche Cayman, the 83. 56 and 17, the Mosing Foss car and the Pompelli Rodriguez Jr. Porsche Caymans. Uh, and on... Row number four, it's Porsche Cayman number 31, the Lohan Rabe car, the Simchak and Piscatel 34 car in eighth position and rounding off the top 10 in ST is the number 19 Porsche Cayman and the number 92 Honda Civic, the Ike and Boehm car. So let's keep that handy. That might come in 
useful at some stage tomorrow. Uh, I think what we will do now, with not much really happening here, for those of you listening on the RSL network further afield, and indeed on 454 uh, scanner frequency here around the circuit, uh, I think we'll wrap this up now, because I don't think we're going to have very much more to add. We'll take uh, a little bit longer break than you might have expected before our next live coverage from here at Road America. There is actually a stationary yellow out over the uh, start-finish line uh, at the moment. Uh, so I don't think we're going to see any takers going out. If there are, we'll catch up with that a little bit later on. But for the moment, the news here from Road America and the Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge is no qualifying. No one really taken to the track of practice due to the uh, particularly bad conditions when we were supposed to be on track. And the grid then, as we've mentioned, set by points positions. And we've just given you the top tens. Uh, thank you for being with us. When we're next on the track with these cars, there will be racing uh, for the Continental Tire Road Race Showcase. And you'll hear it live here on IMSA Radio. This programme is a production of IMSA and Radio Show Limited. For more, visit RadioLeMond.com.